Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and as always, I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algemer to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey Dilly, how are you doing? Hi Nick, I'm very good. How are you? Uh, um, uh, well, I guess we're going to find out after the first segment because the first segment this week is, I guess, the inaugural segment of Dilly's Fruit Corner. And Dilly got a bowl of gooseberries. <laughs> and I have a bowl of fruit. <laughs> uh, so last week, listeners, if you didn't, if you've not been paying attention, or you maybe missed last week's episode, how dare you? Dilly challenged me to eat fruit. And, and long-term listeners will know my revulsion when it comes to, to fruit. Um, I'm so, hurt. I'm deeply hurt. Yeah. I mean, it is pretty awful. So yeah, I mean, Dilly, what's your thoughts on all of this? Are you excited to put me through the punishing experience of eating some freaking gooseberries? Jesus Christ, Nick. Aren't you excited to try new things, to extend your boundaries, you know, challenge yourself, become a new person, get better at being yourself and everything? I don't feel like this is making me better. If anything, it's just making me sad. These look like very sad pieces of fruit. If you ask me. Show us, Nick. What do you have there? I have, as requested. Red gooseberries. Indeed. A bowl full of uh, Stachelbeeren, I guess is the term, right? Uh-huh. Rotus Stachelbeeren. Red gooseberries. Any questions before I just dive in? Or, or is there any kind of I have drum questions. roll that you want to perform before I start? Have you tried them before? Nope. Okay. So you saved, what, six? Um, I've got a whole box downstairs. I don't know what I'm going to do with a box of gooseberries. My wife is nonplussed by the whole the whole thing. <laughs> and she said, why have you got gooseberries? And I was like, oh, podcast. And she was just shook her head. Uh, so she doesn't really know what she's going to do with okay. them. We can eat it together. Would that make you feel better? I have I, four. I don't, do you know what? I'm just going to just, just do it. I'm just going to do it. Just do and it. Do you want someone to hold I'll, your hand? It sounds like it. Um, I mean, a word, but you're at a bit of a distance being as I'm in Bayern and you're in Saxony-Anhalt. So I'm in Frankfurt. Be... Oh, you're in Frankfurt this week. That doesn't make it better. Uh, well, no, it's significantly, <laughs> di significantly different part of Germany, mm -hmm. but yet still as far away as can be. Mm -hmm. um, right. I'm just going to I'm just gonna go for it. I guess, should I describe it before yes, I go in? Yes, please I mean, describe most... it. I was going to ask you. Thank you. Most people have seen gooseberries. I'm, I'm used to gooseberries that are green. These bad boys are red. And sweeter. Um, apparently sweeter. Um, they look a bit like a grape, but a bit more veiny. Yes, and as soft or softer. Yeah, they have. They had like stalk bits that I, I was carefully removing as we were talking. Yeah. Just in case, you know, choking hazard, listeners, choking hazard, beware. So, here goes nothing. Here goes nothing. Oh, 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 Jesus. I wasn't ready for that consistency at all. That was like gooey. It's a gooey sweet custard, right? I mean, custody. Do you know what it, do you know what it, this was my initial thought was, do you know when you, after, after a long night out drinking as a, as a teenager and smoking loads of cigarettes, you'd wake up in the morning and you'd cough and you get a mouthful of phlegm. That's what it was like. It was like suddenly my mouth was full of beer and cigarette backwash. Um, I mean, they're not sweet. That, yeah, unless unless I've got a bad batch. 
I guess the only thing I can do is eat another one. Eat another just one. Just to see. There you go. I'm already on mine. Right. Oh God, that was really grim. How was it grim? It it's was sweet not, and gel-like in the middle. They're, 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 it's so satisfying. No, no, they're they're not sweet at all. That is a, 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 a fake news if ever I heard one. Right, <laughs> my, version two. Let's see if this gets any just better. Smash Maybe it up this a bit one before. I don't. Uh, I'm just gonna hold my nose and hope for the best. <laughs> oh fucking hell! <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Yeah. Well. I think I can officially report there, dear listeners, that unless Shrackle beer in our fucking rank. <laughs> so, uh, listeners, either Nick is an extremely good actor with his facial expressions, or he, I mean, he, he uh, this is the face that babies make when they try lime for the first time. Baby, not like gooseberries. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was very much that. Nah, no, no. I also have Svechkin for you. Do you see them? Have you tried these? Do you have a tree in your garden? Right. You, well, you get to nominate the next fruit that I'm going to try because that was the d- agreement that we made. So Absolutely. Right. You, you, you tweeted a picture of some weird looking ass fruit. The um, weird looking ass weekend. fruit, dear listener, was a fucking mangosteen. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. No idea. It uh, sounds very exciting. It is very exciting. it taste like a mango? Does it taste as shitty as those gooseberries did? It is. Uh, mangosteen is very intense. It has uh, like segments of flesh inside. It's a it's a hard shell. First thing off, so you have to keep mm. it in the middle of your two palms and crush it so that it, the shell opens. You know the bit I don't like about that description is, and I don't like that about fruit in general, is the term flesh. Flesh is not a good word. It's what not do you a want to call it? That, I don't know. The, fruit the inside, bit. <laughs> the inside, <laughs> the inside would be fine. Okay, but I'll allow you. Do you want to nominate a fruit now? Mangosteen. Do you have Asian shops where you live? Um, I live in Bavaria. Come on, of course we don't. No, I'm, I'm sure we do somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure there's some somewhere. I think there might be one in Augsburg. I'm going to Nuremberg at the weekend, so maybe. Oh, I can nice. Okay. Have a, have a look. How long do they they uh, they keep for? Oh, they keep like for quite a while, like for a week, I guess. Yeah, you can keep it in the fridge. Right, I'll go into the Asian food market mm. and uh, see what I can get. If mm-hmm. I can't get those, I'll just choose something that looks good and run with that. But I'll try and get the mangosteens is what you call Mangustin. them. It's G-double-O. Mangustin. Oh, God. It's, it really, this is, it's, I don't know if I'm going to last through this trial. It's very sweet and slightly sour. But uh, be careful. There are like two segments of the fruit inside that uh, they have two seeds. So you can just suck on it and spit this uh, seed back out. The other four, you can just eat as they are. Okay, so it's like Russian roulette then. Uh, Very Russian roulette. Uh, Yeah, I mean, how how many fruit are there in the world? Like, how how long am I going to have to go through this (laughs) this process? You are in for the long haul, Nick. Because if you like, I have Svechkin. Have you had these? Yeah, what are they, like plums? They are like plums, but I, I don't know what they're called in English, and they're definitely not your usual plums. And I have an apricot. Oh, God, honestly. I really think this is a this is a punishment. I feel like I've done something wrong. Um, <laughs> I think I lived quite happily just on a vegetable plus cheese diet. That was a f- 
good enough for me. I don't know why I have to expand my horizons. What's your favorite fruit? Uh, vegetable. Favorite vegetable? I like all of them. There's no vegetables I don't like, really, except, I guess, spargel is the, I am. my nemesis. Yeah. I'm still eating my, my gooseberry. Mm, very unprofessional there, Dilly. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Any excuse um, to eat fruit in the uh, during the podcast? Mm, yeah, I guess so. You've got to fill up the quota because I'm not going to really meet that. There's still four left in this bowl. I'm not going to eat those whatsoever. I might throw them at someone out the window. You you can throw it in the garden under some soil and you'll have like gooseberry plants. I know, but then I don't want gooseberries. <laughs> I don't want gooseberries anywhere near my house. I'll throw them in my enemy's garden. That'll teach them. You can throw it at people, you know, one berry at a time. <laughs> well, I'll just throw them at the neighbors when they start making too much yeah. noise. Yeah. So, Nick, you just said that I'm in Sachsen-Anhalt, and I have the pleasure of informing you that for my summer holidays, I'm in Frankfurt. Nice. Nice city. Nice place. Nice city. Nice place. I hear the schools are good there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say that the schools are good there? Well, isn't the Frankfurt school the, like, really curious economics um group i'm sure it's the frankfurt the frankfurt school they've got they've got very strong opinions about i can't remember exactly what it is um is it like the, the frankfurt the, school of thought about economics or uh i mean uh i'd, I'd have to do I'm, I'm i'm doing some quick googling mm -hmm. um I'll, I'll tell you now um the Frankfurt School is a school of social theory and critical philosophy associated with the institute for social research founded at goethe university frankfurt in 1923 Active in the Weimar Republic during the European interwar period, the Frankfurt School initially comprised intellectuals, academics, and political dissidents, dissatisfied with the contemporary socio-economic system. My highbrow jokes shouldn't require a Wikipedia descriptor, but what can I say? I am quite highbrow. You are quite highbrow. Non-fruit-eating highbrow. <laughs> anyway, so you're in Frankfurt. I am. I'm availing myself of the pleasures that Frankfurt has to offer. One being that I can book uh, the much-needed uh, pedicure for a teach uh, for teachers' feet. Oh yeah, of course, um, definitely required. I tried booking them in Sachsen-Anhalt, where I live, Nick. And halfway through mm -hmm. the appointment making, they say, "Yeah, sorry, we don't do pedicures," and I don't know how to take it. So I just wait. Uh, teach in extremely horrid-looking feet until I get to Frankfurt. Mm. And, the, and they, they uh, rejuvenate. Yes. Is that the plan? Yes. Do you do that thing with the little fishes? I haven't done that, have you? No, I've never done that. Simon's nodding. Simon's nodding. Have you fed your feet to the fish, Simon? He has not. Why was he nodding? Yeah. Oh, he would like to. What is to. this? I feel like this is charades. Simon, man, you've got a mic. Use it. Come on, <laughs> use it. Okay, so I have done it once. There we go. And I never want to do it again, but my youngest son loved it. It's it's horrible. It's creepy. <laughs> but it's very popular in Asia. Do you, is it painful? I thought so. Oh, you're ye people of low tolerance. I guess. <laughs> wow. This is the first time that producer Simon's been heard on the podcast. It's groundbreaking moments. Mm -hmm. So, listener, we've uh, we've mic'd up producer Simon for the first time ever. I feel this is the great addition. I'm not entirely sure Simon's convinced. Me and Dilly certainly are, though. So, uh, if you like the uh, the jerky rumblings of our resident New Zealander, please uh, please do tell us. Anyway, hopefully now you're just trying to provoke me. Okay, <laughs> jerky rumblings. It's not going to work. <laughs> oh shit. 
Oh, we don't, we don't have, we've losing control, Dilly. Maybe we've made a terrible error. Um, Nick, I think he's uh, now going to just vocalize his eyebrow moments. I hope he doesn't eliminate the eyebrows entirely from the discussion, but yeah. at least now we get, we, we, we get, so you get some kind of agency. It's uh, it's definitely a new, it's a new moment. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, so you were saying you, uh, you're knocking around fr uh, Frankfurt, um, learning about uh, dissident economics and um, getting pedicures. I think that was right. And haircuts. Yes. And haircuts, of yeah. course. Things that I don't normally feel comfortable getting in Sachsen-Anhalt because also mm -hmm. sometimes the service is just taken away from me, which I find very weird. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's a skin color thing, mm -hmm. but... You know, you're making the appointment and you're like, ah, oh, can you come tomorrow? And then halfway through, they're like, you know what? Actually, we don't do pedicures. Thank you very much. Bye. Like, okay. So I, um, I don't yeah. get that in Frankfurt. No, bit of a bit more of a, a, a kind of uh, open-minded city, perhaps. Pretty much. They they like my feet here. <laughs> so <laughs> what so, can okay. I say? <laughs> okay, that's a that's a very weird statement. Um, moving moving swiftly along. What uh, so what else have you been doing in Frankfurt? One thing I'm looking forward to is meeting Scanditina, hi Scanditina, and her partner and another Twitter friend next week. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, wow. You are so lucky. I um, am. All I can say is enjoy Scanditina's English uh, pronunciation. It's just glorious. Is it's, it? Yeah, I'm in love with it. So she knows. Ah. I've told her. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, you're so lucky. She is, as I mentioned before, this is the proofreader for uh the articles that are put up on on 40percentgerman.com and uh my my life would be significantly um worse without her input i would tell you now um yeah so you're you're meeting people you're getting pedicures you're learning about curious schools of economics yes and what else and I just discovered uh, Antiquariat Urban und Streu down Eckenheimer Landstrasse for uh, for the book lovers out there. Oh, wow. What What is that? It's a secondhand bookshop. And um, I have a love of secondhand bookshops because secondhand bookshops are what I kind of hovered around in Sri Lanka when I was growing up. And you're not buying books anew. So you, they're pretty affordable and you can buy like eight books a week. Eight books a week? In Sri Lanka. All right. Okay. Um, but I was going to say, how, how are you reading? How are you reading? I used to read about eight books a week in Sri Lanka. That's pretty solid. Pretty solid work. Pretty solid work also by my mother who left me read and <laughs> not do the dishes and things. So, <laughs> That's nice of her. Um, Antiquariat Urban and Stroy is my first secondhand bookshop here in Frankfurt. It's got like the fancy rare books that's like, you know, I don't know, 20. 20 euros, a little more, the rare rare stuff like um, hardcover books about artists and Matisse and Van Gogh. I'm trying to pronounce the name the way my Dutch boyfriend does. It sounds like I'm coughing. And um, yeah, but like for five, four or five euros, you can also find like fiction and detective stuff and the crime stuff and a little bit of traveling. And you have books mm -hmm. in German, English, French, and you have more books online. I know I sound like a commercial for the Antiquariat mm -hmm. Urban und Streu, but uh, they have like floor-to-ceiling shelves of books. It's it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have more books online. And if you 
go there. You go, if you go to the site and then you look for books that you want, you just write them down. You call the owner and you tell him the titles you want to see. He will have them ready for you to pick up the next time, which I think is oh, quite that's nice. Yeah. That's pretty solid. Yeah. So I found like a copy of uh, Salmon Fishing in Yemen by Paul Torday. Um, it's a film I remember seeing, but uh, so I just got the book. And then on Twitter, I heard that it's actually um, a book that is really good and better even than the film. So I'm excited. Mm. Oh, wow. I mean, I love a good bookshop. Mm -hmm. we, I mean, in, in Augsburg, you, you, you might, I'm trying to think of a secondhand bookshop. Most of them are just like, there's a lot of bookshops, but they're all just sort of, yeah, they're all just normal bookshops. Mm. I don't think there's any particularly secondhand ones. I could be doing them a disservice. I mean, the one, the ones in the center of the big chains, like mm. Talia and things like this, which is an all right bookshop. Um, yeah, but again, focused more towards kind of modern, modern fiction yeah. and and kind of the big, the big releases yeah. and a lot of comic books and stuff. Um, I mostly buy my books online, really. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Um, have you read anything by Gerald Darrell? I can't say that I have, to be honest. Mm -hmm. you, so you you posted a tweet that sort of spurred us on a little bit uh, this week because mm -hmm. you posted that your haul from the bookshop. Um, anti, what was the name again? It's the Antiquariat Urban und Streu. Uh, that's a mouthful. I'll probably not try it. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and you posted a, a link and you had like eight, I think, eight books in total you'd collected together. And uh, that's a pretty extensive summer reading list. Oh, is, it, is it 12 books in total? There were, there were 12 books in total, but some I found at Hogendubel. Ah, okay. So they all weren't from the same no, shop. Yeah. Right, okay. But it's sort of, we had a chat about, about that image and discussed like, well, wouldn't it be good to have like a summer reading list of recommendations mm. of books that we've been reading that perhaps uh, listeners can take a crack at while they're sunning themselves on a beach or whatever it is that listeners do with their holidays. Mm -hmm. So you've sort of compiled already your your list of books so um give me some of the 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 books that you're you're reading at the moment um so i have uh, three books by gerald darrell that i found uh in the antiquariat it's because um i really liked his book my family and other animals i loved it mm -hmm. growing up I, I i love his um obsession with nature and mm -hmm. so i got those then I, have, I got three books by Doris Lessing because I have not read Doris Lessing till now. And then there were three mm. books on sale. But right now I'm reading Silverview by John Le Carré. And that is the last book he's written since he died, I think, in 2020. Yeah, he, he passed away a couple mm. of years ago. I, got, I, love, I love Le Carré. Like, he's one of my favorite authors. Do you, do you um, also like, like other crime and detective stuff like Ian Ranking? Yeah, I don't really, well, this is something we're going to get into when we talk about my list of books. Mm. You'll get a sense of, of kind of what I'm reading, mm. but um, I don't, I haven't spent the last few years reading a vast amount of yeah. of fiction. I, yeah, my, 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 my stepfather's big into Ian Rankin. Oh. I kind of, my, my, my big problem with reading detective stories, yeah. and it's why I like John le Carre, yeah. right, was as a kid, mm. uh, I, I spent a lot of time reading and the thing that I was hooked on for I'm still hooked on. I, I go back to every so often. Uh, Sherlock Holmes. <gasps> Same and, here. And through Sherlock Holmes, yeah. I then got to because um, because like Sherlock Holmes is so I just loved it. Yeah. I think it just it's the 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 detective story yeah. part. Um, like um, uh, the sort of 
the archetype of the detective yeah. story is designed by Colin Doyle. Yeah. But then that sort of led me as a, a sort of backwards to um, is it Edgar Allan Poe and the murders in the Rue Morgue? Because that's sometimes referenced as the first detective story, I think. Okay. Uh, or modern detective story. Uh, murders in the Rue Morgue is a short story, but it's, and it's, there's a couple of stories with a French detective in it. I forget the name of the detective, but Murders in the Rue Morgue is one of the, it's one of the, the great detective stories. But the problem of reading Conan Doyle and reading Sherlock Holmes um, in its entirety, like several times, mm. is it effectively ruins you for detective stories mm. because of it being so, it, it's the process of Holmes's deductions, mm. as, like the way, once you yeah. understand yeah. How, yeah. how it works, and it's not, it, that's why I don't like the adaptations. The adaptations make it look like it's a, a fucking trick, right? Yeah. Everything he does is yeah. a, like a sort of a trick, but it, it's the process is better explained in the, in the books. Yeah. And and because of that, when I read detective stories, I would often be like a couple of chapters in and I'd be like, I think it's this. And then I'd get to the end and be really disappointed. Yes, yes. So, because um, you'd sort of solved it before you'd, you'd solved it. But um, if we're thinking kind of, that kind of level of fiction. Uh, again, another author that I, I like. I read one of his books and then, and then just read all of his books all at once. Was um, James Elroy's um, mm -hmm. uh, series of books, sort of set in LA in the fifties and sixties. Mm. And most people probably know the LA Confidential. Yeah, uh, really, it's an amazing film. But like, it's that's only one piece of the larger sort of story. And you have all these. He's very good at world building, and he adds all these characters and inter interlinks with like real world people mm. and these characters that he's created and the sort of police in LA and and all these really amazing characters and how they kind of intersect with like the rise of 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 Kennedy in the sixties and, and things like this. And I loved, I loved those. So uh, they weren't quite straight detective stories. There was always a mystery in them. Yeah. But it was more the world that was created yeah. by Elroy, and and I really loved that. And and I mean, James Elroy's got um, there's a famous uh, biography of his that he wrote about because his his mother was murdered, if I'm right. Oh. And he wrote a he wrote a book about it, about that experience mm -hmm. and 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 the, the sort of case behind it. Mm -hmm. But. He's probably more famous for the L.A. Quartet, which is Black Dahlia, The Big Nowhere, L.A. Confidential, mm -hmm. um, and and White Jazz. But there's like loads of them. There's, there's the one of my favorites is The Cold Six Thousand. Mm -hmm. That's another really just epic book. But there's just all these characters, and the great thing he does in it, which I always love in world building, is there'll be in L.A. Confidential, mm. you've got all these like m central characters. Mm. And then you go to like American Tabloid or um, White Jazz or one of the mm. other books, and the main characters are now background characters. Mm. And maybe like a character who was seemed insignificant in LA mm. Confidential is suddenly the main character. And so it it doesn't it, it sort of it, it it has these a world that feels like fully formed mm. and fully populated by by three dimensional characters. And, and I always enjoyed that aspect. Mm. But yeah. Um, so how are you finding Silverview? Are you liking it? Um, I'm still at the very beginning. I I do like it. Um, it's um, I'm, the conversation and the nar narration is very. I don't know. It reads like watching an interesting film. Um, it's very crisp. Uh, I completely get what you mean with uh, Sherlock Holmes because um, I have the feeling that with Sherlock Holmes, it's that uh, you and Sherlock Holmes are in the same room, 
and he mm-hmm. sees the same things that you do, but he comes to a completely uh, different conclusion. And it's not like mm-hmm. nothing is kept away from you. And th- that's, I mean, you have to be really good at what you do mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Because with like mm-hmm. other mysteries, it's like uh, you find something that, or someone sends an anonymous letter and that mm-hmm. reveals everything. And uh, I mean, I, I enjoy Ruth Rendell, um, Agatha Christie, Mm. Uh, P.D. James, um, Ian Ranking, but um, Sherlock Holmes is uh, my first detective love. And I recently like spent very good money to buy one of those um, collector's items where it's uh, the collected books and essays of Sherlock Holmes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. There's there's a there's a really good actually I mean this is this is sort of verging on the stuff that I'm I'm more into now mm. which is uh, you know Neil Gaiman the yes. um the the fantasy author but he's also written like loads he's a really good writer really love him yes. he did a, he's is an, is an amazing short story that he's done uh-huh. called um, a study in emerald uh-huh. which plays with the idea of Sherlock Holmes uh-huh. but it's also H P Lovecraft what is so like. H.P. Lovecraft was a, an American author who created the concept of like, what is his famous book is in the mountains of madness, mm-hmm. but he's got loads of them. And he's basically created this world that's like a sandbox for authors to play in. Mm. And he used to invite authors to like create stories based in his world. Mm. And the world concept is that there's the world that we know. Mm. And then there's the world behind that, mm. which is um, full of unknowable, terrifying, mm. Leviathan godlike creatures. Mm that to ob- to see them would drive you mad mm. and so it's a little bit creepy and weird mm. and so you have these like layers of reality mm. within the book mm. and neil gaiman wrote this amazing like i said study in, in, in emerald okay. a short story about that and it plays with the idea of sherlock holmes mm. it plays with the idea of lovecraft's mm. mythos mm. and it's it's great it's really good so i'd recommend that the other thing i was going to say is uh, well worth the read for anyone who doesn't necessarily want to dive into a full le carre book mm. is his article from about six years ago in the observer called why we should learn german because you might not know this but john le carre was a fluent german speaker and it is a like for german learners or anyone wanting to sort of learn about why german is a great language to learn it is just it's a treat eyes and like the beauty of the language of german and, and it's really really nice mm. and it and it, it's really really worth reading um and it, like i said it's thanks from 2017 so i'd go and have a look at that why we should learn german it's really worth okay worthwhile having a look at but yeah the book i was going to mention that i'm reading at the moment mm. i've just started it and i've I blasted through it it's really interesting it's called uh kleptopia mm. uh by tom burgess and it's it's really interesting because this has kind of got me thinking about fiction a bit more because mm. it's a an, a factual book but written like it's fiction, and so it tells the story of basically kleptocracies, oligarchy, mm. global money, fraud mm. uh, through the eyes of like all these different characters from the oligarchs to ah. the Kazakhstan royal family or sort of governing family. Mm all through North America. It's got Trump in there. It's got like, it's loads of like all, and it's it's mind boggling because the way he writes it mm. again, which makes it really interesting is he'll sort of mention something in one chapter. The chapters are really short, maybe mm. a couple of pages and, and it's sort of following one group and it'll mention someone and then sort of two chapters later, you get the full story mm. about about that person and it sort of dips in and, and like, it shows how every, all the, the sort of money and and kleptocracy are kind of interconnected yeah and so that was that's something that's that's, that's definitely been um worth reading i've really enjoyed that so far 
Um, so yeah, um, what else? You, I mean, that's what we've been reading at the moment. But yeah. what have you read this year that you were like, I'd recommend, I'd recommend this? I I tend to read well within my comfort zone right now because I'm also doing very serious reading for PhD stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the articles that I read for the PhD like just take my breath away. They're quite grounding and healing and I get to mm. know a lot. Um, it's on like decolonization, uh, post-colonialist um, linguistics, uh, varieties of English sort of thing. And mm. it's been it's been very healing uh, trying to get back into the PhD. So I do like to read my P.D. James and detective stories to kind of like to escape from all of that a bit. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but I did read Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez. And that was about the exclusion of women in policies, urban planning, technology, uh, workplaces, what have you. And um, mm-hmm. th- that was quite enlightening and um, mm-hmm. uh, relatable. But other than that, it's very Inspector Wexford, very reliable stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, the sort of straight up. Yeah detective stories yeah um for sure i mean i've read a few books this year that i've really enjoyed i got a good a good haul over christmas Mm. and uh there's a couple of things that i read that i was just like um i I kind of i read and and then and then instantly wished i hadn't read them because they were they were so like yeah so some of them are quite quite depressing oh oh i mean the the topics are just a little bit yeah i don't know just make you sort of hate the world that's the same the problem with this kleptopia mm. book is that you're like fuck the world is screwed right over yeah yeah the two that i read that began the year with was uh, this book uh, by richard beard called sad little men mm. and it's how public schools failed britain mm. and it's all about public school education and richard beard went to a public school mm. and he wrote it during the pandemic and it just gives you a real insight into why public schools are terrible from the perspective of a public school boy, mm. how they sort of segregate small children from reality for almost a decade and then invest them with these adult children, basically with massive amounts of responsibility, mm. power and wealth. And it talks a lot about David Cameron and Boris Johnson as examples, Boris Johnson being the archetype of the naff public school boy with mm. no real talent who's kind of offered the world and praised and told how great they are despite the fact of not having any real actual talent and that just it made you sad it made it made it made me sympathetic for the for for posh kids basically because it is just harrowing and and like the experience of of public school doesn't seem as enjoyable as i don't know hogwarts might have had you believe so that's definitely worth mm. worth looking at uh, the other one that I read, um, which is the, just made me really depressed, which was the uh, the Secret Barrister. It's the first oh, book from. You mentioned this. This is something that's on my list uh, because I followed the tweets by the Secret Barrister. Mm. So it's stories of the law and how it's broken, and it just gives you again a real insight into uh, how fucked the justice system is in Britain, mm. how it's made. It explains it, and it's really he it takes uh, he or she. We don't you don't know who the Secret Barrister is, so um, it's. The person who does the Twitter account's written the book, but each chapter is an aspect of the law and given real world kind of relevance by the experience of the secret barrister Mm. in those moments. But again, it's just like, it's good. And I'm really glad I read it. And I understand a lot more about the justice system in the UK, Mm. which is useful for work and and, and so forth when we're sort of talking about British culture. Mm. But it just, it's, yeah, you realize how screwed it's been by austerity and things like that. So 
again, it's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough read, but well worth it for sure. Um, is it also called The Secret Barrister? It's The Secret Barrister, Stories of the Law and How It's Broken. Ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. So those are the three books that I've been whacking my way through mm. um, over the last uh, sort of seven months or so. I have one more for you. I will two, yeah, two on. more for you. So um, one other book that I'm looking forward to reading is Breasts and Eggs by Mieko Kawakami. Oh, yeah, I'd seen that. I'd seen that was on your <laughs> list. Well, I was curious. I didn't want to look it up. I wanted to wait until you told me about it. So like, what's it about? I haven't started on it yet, but a friend of mine on Twitter said that it's a book that she enjoyed very much. And um, it's about like uh, the story of uh, three women. And I think they are also of... Uh, uh, they are related three women, and um, just to read the little blurb at the back, or the last couple of sentences, it's supposed to be a radical and intimate portrait of contemporary working-class womanhood. Breast and, Breasts and Eggs recounts the heartbreaking journeys of three women in a society where the odds are stacked against them. It uh, uh, seems like this kind of book that I, I would enjoy as well. Not enjoy in the sense mm. of like, sort of book that I can um, read and understand the world a bit better with sort of thing. Yeah, it's all, I mean, it sounds interesting. Uh, is it is it a novel or is it kind of... Uh, it's a novel and it's hmm. a, the original is in Japanese and this is actually the English translation by Sam Bitt and David Boyd. Oh, right. I, 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 might, I, well, I saw it and I, I definitely took a note of it. I put it on my... On my mm -hmm. book list, I've got an endless book list of of books that I'm eventually going to get that I've been work. I've been sort of comp. It's always longer than than I'll have time to read them, yeah. but it's 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 definitely up there with um, on the list now. So I'll uh, be having a look at it. I said I have two books, and before our wonderful producer Simon says, talk about the second book before you forget it. Here it is. It's called Tickle My Ears. By <laughs> Jörg Müller. <laughs> because um, I haven't seen my nephew when he's seven months old. And I'm amassing quite, uh, quite a collection of children's books that I want to give to him when I see him. And I end up reading them to him over FaceTime. So it, it's written by a German. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's in English. And I like getting books for my nephew in different languages that I come into contact with. So like Dutch, Bulgarian, German, French. Um, I'm obviously seeing her. And uh, yeah, so Tickle My Ears, uh, it's, it's where like I show him the pictures and, and then I read the book to him. And he already knows me. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. So you read it to mm -hmm. him online. Yeah, that's sweet. and I also like show that's him the pictures, and I go kikaboo, and kikaboo is Dutch for peekaboo. So I go kikaboo, <laughs> and then he laughs. It's 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 glorious. Oh, that's really nice. It's really nice. We could do like a kids edition. There's fucking loads of books I've been bloody reading and going through. Yeah, um, I've actually got a recommendation for you, Dilly. Yes, um, I had forgot about it. It's been on my bookshelf. I read it last year. Yeah, and it's um, Empire Land by Satnam Sangura. And how imperialism has shaped modern Britain, and oh. it is it is really good. It is really worth. It's 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 a knockabout writing style, mm. so very combative, but like just chocked full of like really interesting mm -hmm. bits of information. And he's basically is, is the thesis is you can't explain modern Britain without talking about empire, yeah. but it's the last thing that we actually really talk about. Yeah. 
and so it's a, it's really really worth worth delving into if you if you if you find it yeah um but yeah so um, are those books the books you've just mentioned are ones that you're looking forward to reading yes the ones that i posted on twitter are the ones that i uh, want to read uh during my summer holidays but it also means that i'm going to go back to the second hand bookshop on saturday hmm. or find a new one and i'm going to be putting together quite the collection it's it, it, uh it's like my eyes are bigger than my brain kind of thing yeah i mean i was looking at my list of books that um i want to buy mm. and again i think if listeners are probably getting a sense of my reading list is basically just factual books <laughs> it's like there's no novels there's mm. no uh like the next three books that i want to read are the German Genius, uh, Europe's Third Renaissance mm -hmm. and the Second Scientific Revolution in the 20th Century. Uh, Germany and the World, uh, A Global History is the 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 other one, mm -hmm. which is, it's kind of funny that that was the, um, the book that was second on my reading list already because uh, a certain Reverend Ian Houghton, you might recognize the name. Reverend uh, Ian Houghton. Hello. Yeah, my dad. My dad yeah. emailed me out of the blue even before we thought start talking about book lists, and he recommended Germany in the World by David Blackburn, which looks like a really interesting book, which is about how German intellectuals, due to kind of war and revolution and and various other reasons, uh, spread out around the world and influenced um, a lot of the um, intellectual thought and scientific discovery um over the last 500 years and uh and that's something that I'm, I'm really looking forward to to reading and i'm kind of like i'm sort of stuck in a bit of a loop because i just I, I i tend always to go for books that are either history straight history or are entirely focused on germany so i'm kind of like what i want to do is read more fiction mm. but i've got a very low opinion of modern fiction and i've read most of the classics mm -hmm. or at least the ones that i would want to read um if you start recommending jane austen i'm going to be incredibly disappointed but I, um, i'm not going back i'm not going back there <laughs> thanks very much my brother has got for me a, uh, a puffin mug where you have a uh, jane austen and persuasion in the yellow and orange colors mm. yeah i mean it's i mean don't get me wrong like jane austen maybe a bit too sort of upper own ass for my liking but anyway uh that's my my i prefer mary shelley if i'm gonna if we're gonna be reading sort of uh 18th century authors um but yeah so i'm looking i'm looking for recommendations mm. of of good fiction books so listeners if you've got if you've got recommendations for either me or dilly do uh do tweet us or send us an email and suggest some some books that you've read that we can add to our uh summer reading list is it is it too late for me to say that I found a very lovely uh, decolonial feminist reading group on Twitter? It's not one that I have been able to join uh, physically because I I couldn't make it at the times they they met. But I have been uh, looking at the reading list and downloading all the books I can as PDFs. And mm. whatever else I, I can't find, um, I have been uh, looking up on Thalia, trying to see if I can buy it. Mm. There have been some really nice books. And uh, Sarah Ahmed's uh, The Feminist Killjoy Handbook has been, uh, it's also on my list. So uh, it's also on, uh, in the pile of books that I have waiting for summer. All right, well. We'll add that to the list then. 
This it's a sort of book uh, that I think I will like. So Sara Ahmed is supposed to have been an academic, and uh, having realized just how um, uh, toxic the system is, uh, it's one she's left, and so she writes and uh, studies independently. And I think I uh, that's quite that's pretty inspirational, and uh, I can completely see where she's coming from. And uh, so uh, like. Just reading the extract from the publisher, it's um, do colleagues roll their eyes in a meeting when you use words like racism and sexism? Do you refuse mm-hmm. to laugh at jokes that aren't funny? Have you been called divisive for pointing out a division? Then you're a feminist killjoy and this handbook is for you. It really, I felt that in my soul and I, I'm happy to say I bought that in hardcover because, yeah... So one disappointment I've had last week was seeing a tweet about uh, Tessa Ganzerer, our Green Party politician in the Bundestag. It was a photo of her in a leopard print dress, short, and the text read that the last time the poster had seen a, a woman like this, they'd offered them anything, to do anything for 50 euros in Berlin. And I felt that the tweet, uh, disappointing as it was, it um, also um, was wrong on a few levels, I thought. So the moment that people say Berlin and sex, they also mean um, diversity. And I felt that was pretty uh, transphobic. Um, It was also sexualizing a woman in politics. Uh, you know, it's not something we see very often, but, you know, when it does happen, we want to speak up. And I hope you get the sarcasm in my voice. Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the topic discussion around Tessa Ganzera, as well as her, her colleague Nika Slavic, who mm. is the, the uh, they're both the, the, the first trans women to enter the, the German parliament mm-hmm. and um, are, are therefore the focus of a lot of, just abuse, just shit, yeah. basically attacking. And it was kind of, I mean, this is the weird thing that I was thinking was like, it's weirdly progressive that you would attack a trans woman in parliament for what they're wearing, because it's like, it's like, it's almost like, well, that's what every woman has to has to suffer. Of course, you're treating you're treating her as you would any other woman. Yeah. So part of me was like, well, um, that's weirdly progressive but also regressive at the same time. Um, <laughs> and I just think, I don't know. I mean, I just thought it was a weird, it was a weird take. The idea, like, it was sort of, you've got this very public trans woman, like, in a job that's already kind of the focal point for a lot of abuse, mm. suggests that both um, Tessa Ganser and, and, and Nike Slavic are, are fucking hardcore for a start mm. that they would both put themselves in this in this position and, and in this in this place where they are so public but um it just i don't know i just it's a difficult topic right it's a difficult topic to discuss it's a difficult topic and i think uh, a twitter friend of mine also pointed out that it's uh fat phobic as well um and i was like yeah this tweet kind of like checks all the boxes and it's also about um i mean i think um elsewhere in the same thread or the tweet um the person had said uh, you know if only the leopard print was just covering more of the person 
And um, that's also talking about women as one does, apparently. And um, uh, there are expectations of um, how uh, fat women or large yeah, fat women should uh, present themselves as opposed to how uh, slim women or thin women are perceived. And that's another horrible kettle of fish or a can of worms, which should it be? I'm loath to unpack the logic that creates a tweet that is simultaneously kind of uh, sexist, transphobic, and just generally mean-spirited because mm. I think it gives it gives those tweets that bit more kind of like if you try and break it down, then you're trying to sort of you're giving it legitimacy to a certain extent. Yeah, but like I just saw it as straight transphobic. It was yeah. like, oh, look at look at this weird person mm. that exists and meh. and then the th i read the comments yeah. and it was they were all dead naming and it was using um the wrong pronoun yes. and and it was just talking like, about the genitalia which is an absolute no-go and it's something that it's close to my heart and it's something that we sort of talked about before about mm. whether i particularly want to discuss it and i think i do because my my sister's trans mm -hmm. and I always feel when I see these debates and you see debates on television, mm. whether in Germany or Britain or America, or you see debates online and it's nine times out of 10, it's someone who has, in fact, nearly 10 out of 10, it's people who have absolutely no contact with trans people yeah. making, making assertions about their psychology, making assertions about their personalities, making assertions about their phys how they look physically. Yeah. And they're so... You, I, I genuinely believe this. Anyone who knows a trans person just can see through it so quickly. You can see through the the transphobia that mm. is so virulent online. Because ten minutes in the in a room with a trans person, you have a better understanding of 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 what I would consider the struggle. And and I would like uh, before we sort of go any further, ev everything I'm going to say is just from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's that, so if my the language I use is inflammatory or if the the position i take is kind of not the position you might take listener fair enough we can all we can all debate it but i do think that trans people are not very public and when you have debates about trans issues mm. you don't really see a lot of trans people taking part in those debates and for a long time i was like well why why wouldn't they get involved why wouldn't trans people want to talk about these issues and through knowing someone who is trans, you realize why the fuck would anyone want to go on television or engage in the debate mm. where the central debate is their right to exist? Yeah. I mean, how is that a debate in the first place, right? Like you wouldn't, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't know whether we don't demand that of anyone. Like come on TV and defend your existence. Mm. Yeah. And it's like against possibly some of the worst people and the most ill-educated people. And you also see it online, especially whenever trans issues are discussed in in a lot of spheres of public life, mm. that they're minus the trans person, but they're also like the most edge case. And it's always uh, like a real, like the, 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 the sort of production line of propaganda about women with beards is one thing that you often see. And there's always like, their sexual deviance mm. and they'll find like an edge case of of, uh, uh, of someone in a prison i mean the scottish the scottish example being the 
trans woman that was put in a woman's prison mm. and sort of the outrage that, that that caused among a lot of people and to a certain extent has been considered a reason that the, the, the sort of trying attempts to create pro-trans or positive trans laws in Scotland um, has, has been a, a real kind of um, point of contention and I just, I just find it. So, I find these debates so. I find that shit so fucking annoying. Yeah. Because it's just like we're doing this. Oh, we're just going to do this over and over again. These, the, there's a group of people, a marginalised group of people that that we aren't going to bother to try and understand. Aren't going to bother to try and engage with, and we're going to attack at every fucking yeah. opportunity as a threat to our existence. And you meet a trans person, and you're like, oh right, you're just a person then, a person with struggles trying to to try and do the best they can. And every time I see one of these stories about a trans women with a beard or something like that, I'm like, what do you think trans people are about? Like, do you think a trans woman wants to have a beard? Like, I don't know all the trans women in the world, but I know a lot of trans women who they desperately just want to pass. I think is the term that they would use. Mm -hmm. They want to present as women and they want to pass as women. That's the dream, mm -hmm. right? And I mean, again, that's just the trans people I've spoken to, but and that's that's what I'm basing all my kind of perceptions on. Basically, is my experience of speaking to to trans men and trans women. But like, I just I, I just don't get what the fucking value is. Like, I think Ganza and, and um, Slavic are fucking heroic. Mm. Like, I, like, there's there any better example of someone like being heroic than presenting in a way they know will not be taken well by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And fucking doing it anyway on a really public stage yeah, in the German and I think, Parliament. Like, they should be fucking applauded for for bravery, but instead they're torn down by people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, can I ask you something, Nick? So, uh, yeah, what sure. would you say um, in your family and friend circles? How would you say you are an ally to your sister? Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I am an ally i'm just a sibling mm -hmm. support supportive support. okay like, i don't want to i don't want to go too deep into mm. it because it's it's her story right yeah. but like when she told us when she told us the first time it was like a massive jigsaw puzzle piece had been put mm -hmm. into place ah. and it just answered it answered like all the questions around our relationship mm -hmm. her relationship with people and and it was really i thought it was a really like all when she told us it's just like right now what what do we do well what how do we move forward with yeah. this like what like i tried to be really practical i'm not sure if that was necessarily the best way to do it but it was just full-on support like if this is who you are then fucking hey like let's let's do this then like it's going to be tough and it's going to be a challenge but she i think she knew that mm -hmm. maybe not to the extent of how much of a challenge it would be in a lot of areas yeah. but it like that that's if if being an ally is just backing them up and being supportive and being there to hold the hand mm. or kick them up the ass, like because sometimes my sisters needed to fucking boot up the ass, <laughs> and and that's what siblings do for each other and she would do the same for me mm -hmm. and i think that's the best the best i could say really about being an ally mm -hmm. if that's even the right word So we kicked off the show by Dilly punishing me for not eating fruit. Um, I'm still picking bits of uh, gooseberry 
uh, flesh out of my teeth. Um, the horrible consistency. So uh, to wash the disgusting taste of new fruit out of my mouth, I'm going to uh, I'm going to continue with my my sort of crusade, my planned attempt to make Dilly love football. And I've sat for a few weeks pondering how can I make Dilly like football? What is it that's going to clinch it for Dilly? And I'm and I'm going the most obvious route possible. It's the Women's World Cup starting on Thursday. And if you don't like women's football, then I can't fucking help you. So I thought I'd give you a quick overview of, of what's happening. Uh, currently, uh, producer Simon is celebrating, um, and we know why, for the simple reason that the World Cup is being held in Australia and a funny little place called New Zealand. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so Australia and New Zealand are hosting. Uh, I couldn't think of a better place to play football, although not a great place to watch football if you live in Europe, because I've looked at all the times for the football kicking off and it's the, like 4.30 in the morning and stuff like this. Um, there's some weird kickoffs um, uh, sort of or when the shows start. Um, it feels a lot like uh, the uh, World Cup in Japan where you had to sort of get up early and you'd be eating breakfast watching football or you'd be just about to have lunch and you're watching a full 90 minutes. So I feel Simon wants to jump in here. I just, you know, for years growing up, I had to put up with getting up in the middle of the night to see the FA Cup final. This whole Eurocentric, oh, we can't have the World Cup on the other side of the world is so imperial. I mean, it just... Oh. It smacks of imperialism. I am. I'm deeply regretting miking up uh, Simon. <laughs> um, anyway, he's right. He's right, but also wrong. Um, so <laughs> I thought, Dilly, to get you in the mood for the Women's World Cup, uh, I'm going to run through uh, three teams that I think are well worth watching. Two of which will be obvious why I've chosen them, and one maybe not so much. So, of course, the first team that I'm going to pick out of the hat to highlight is, of course, Germany. And uh, Germany is, yeah. I mean, they've been they've been quite successful. They've they've won a couple of World Cups in the mid two thousands, but um, they'd gone they sort of tailed off a little bit. Uh, they got to the quarterfinals in the twenty seventeen European Championships, but they uh, they did make the final against England in the Euro Euro twenty twenty two. Of course, getting beaten by England two uh, one. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Anyway. Uh, so they're well worth watching. And the reason they're well worth watching is, unlike the men's team, the women's team's actually good. So uh, that's one good reason to, to to go after them. What I like about the women's team is the fact that... Um, they get paid better? Well, not necessarily. Well, the women's team doesn't necessarily get paid better. Look at Simon rolling his eyes under those eyebrows. For, 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 for a, a discussion for a different time, I, I, I suspect. But actually, it's their coach, Martina Vos-Tecklenburg, who is a re really good coach, knows exactly what a plan is, unlike a certain Hansi Flick for the men's team, who seems com abundantly confused by what players you should play in and what positions. Um, uh, Vos-Tecklenburg has um, a good sense of her team, uh, there's a lot of confidence around them going into the tournament. And in fact, it's very popular. In the, it, it, one of the great examples was almost 80 million people watched the Euros final with them in Germany and um, watched the final uh, that they were in, in in Euro 2022 compared to like barely anyone who watched the Germany men's team in Qatar um, over over December. And so they're very, they're very popular. But the other thing, the great thing about um, Germany is they have Alexandra Pop, uh -huh, who is okay. a fantastic footballer. She may be 32, but she is rock solid. She is a fantastic goal scorer. 
just a, a great footballer and uh, certainly worth worth a watch. She was the top scorer in the Bundesliga uh, for the first time, actually, which is a bit of a surprise. But she's she's uh, uh, always got a goal in there. She was actually missing from the final in Euro 2022, which is possibly one of the reasons why uh, Germany uh, didn't go through. They've also got uh, Jewel Brandt, who is, a, I think, a bit of an impact substitution. Um, she's only 20, so she's worth watching. Jewel Brandt. Yeah, so keep an eye on Germany. I think they could do very well, very realistically. Uh, they, they've got a group of um, Colombia, Morocco, and South Korea, mm. so they should win in Group H. Um, but should they get out of the group stages, they could well face uh, Brazil or France um, in the round of 16, which would be a tough ask. Moving swiftly on, because we don't have a lot of time, of course, I'm going to choose England. Obviously, the Lionesses as the other team to watch. My God. I, the, the the moment I watched the Lionesses win Euro 2022 was was, was I etched in my memory. Mm. First time I've ever seen an England team in my lifetime win a trophy, and it was ah, uh, it's just it was a dream come true. Fantastic run through the tournament. But like Germany, they also have a fantastic coach in Serena Wiegmann, who is ah, uh, she's just a tactical genius for God's sake. She uh, knows how to set up her teams. She uh, usually plays four three three, but is pretty adept at sort of switching the team around to to, to, to compete against whoever they're playing. And so, a bit of a, a tactical genius in the in the dugout. But there is some problems in the England team because they have uh, that three of their best players are actually uh, injured for the tournament. So uh, they were without Beth Mead, who was the Golden Boot winner uh, last summer. Uh, their captain, Leah Williamson, is out as well, as well as Fran Kirby. And oh God, I love Fran Kirby, but she's out too, sadly. And so there is a little bit of concern about whether they uh, will go as far. I think they're perfectly capable of winning it. Uh, they've got Kira Walsh, who is, uh, I think she plays for Barcelona. She's one of the, oh, she's an amazing midfielder, just sprays passes around, beautiful to watch. And I think the adage that I read in The Guardian the other day was that when she plays well, England plays well. So keep an eye out for her. And then finally, the last team on the list is one that's a little bit of a a, a strange one, a, a perhaps as a, as a choice. Denmark is my other team to watch. And the reason I've chosen Denmark is for the simple reason that they've got the best player in the world in Pernilla Harder. Pernilla Harder's fantastic. Weirdly, though, it's the first World Cup. She's 30 years old. She is... Denmark's top goal scorer. She had an amazing season, I think, for Chelsea last season. And she's just a great footballer, fantastic footballer. Um, has won the Women's Player of the Year award a couple of times. Um, well worth keeping an eye out. So my tip is Penilla Harder to be top goal scorer. Denmark and England are playing in the same group alongside uh, China and Haiti in Group D. So England will get a first taste of Denmark early doors. But... Um, my tip, of course, is England to win, Pernilla Harder to be top goal scorer, and uh, I don't know, Germany to go out to uh, Brazil in the uh, round of 16. So there you go, Dilly. Get hype. The Women's World Cup starting. It's catchy. It's catchy, I must say. Yeah, yeah. I find women's football far more interesting for a couple of reasons. One is there's, I forget who it is. I think it's a, it's, it's a woman on the Germany team who has recently just had a baby. Hmm. Like that's the kind of stuff you wouldn't, they just don't get in the men's game, right? So she had a baby and she's brought uh, the baby with her to uh, Australia. And uh, it's one of the things she said is uh, many players are already looking forward to playing nanny. And I say, like, oh, that's really sweet. Aww. Wow, to like bring the team together around a baby. And the other thing is, you have LGBT um, all the way through. Yeah. There's a lot of openly out LGBT players, uh -huh. unlike in the men's game. And um, in some instances, you can have partners 
playing in the same team oh. or more more excitingly partners playing on opposing, opposing teams. teams so this is what makes it just a little bit more spicy i think uh, there's more like love and community between the teams no i just want women's football's more it's it's football without all the baggage in in a lot of ways and i think it's more f- freeing because of that i don't feel the same distaste with england fans for the women's team as i do for the england fans for the men's team so um i'm looking forward to to the start of this tournament so expect some updates as we go when are they playing or when are we watching this on german tv i think england's first games on saturday uh germany's first game i would have to double check mm. but i think they play next week so we've got we've got a few games i think uh, the the kickoff is the first two games new zealand are and australia are playing their first games on thursday okay. so and 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 not to leave australia out who very much potentially could win the whole tournament at home uh, mm. that would be very much worth watching although i feel that simon might not be too happy with australia winning yes uh, shrug <laughs> <laughs> That brings us to the end of the show. Nick is off to throw the rest of his gooseberries at his neighbors, all of four. Yeah, take that. Take that, you <laughs> bastards. Got you in the eye. 10 points. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag #DecadesFromHome or lowercase on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic or a book recommendation, um you can tweet dilly on at dilly algama and you can tweet me at 40% german you can also get us on decadesfromhome@gmail.com if you have time take a look at 40%german.com weekly articles are up every saturday all the stuff to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten mal tschüss, tschüss.